Continue our studies in the Samson narrative. Uh, one thing I would suggest, I know this is going to be hard, but try to read it or try to listen as we read through it uh, as if you've never read it before because that will help us uh, see the marvelous thing that God does by way of Samson uh, in this narrative. So we'll begin reading at verse 1, Judges chapter 14. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went out down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there, for young men used to do so. And it happened, when they saw him, that they brought thirty companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothing. And they said to him, Pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You opposed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother, so should I explain it to you? Now she wept on him the seven days while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because she pressed him so much. Then she explained the riddle unto the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon, and killed thirty of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Amen. 
Well, I like to do puzzles, but I can't stand riddles. So I've never been very good at them. I'm not really great with metaphor. I'm a meat and potatoes kind of the guy. I just need you to tell me exactly what is going on. I need someone to tell me exactly what is happening. And when it comes to the providence of God, usually that doesn't happen so much. We would like God to tell us why things are occurring, why things are happening. We want to know every jot and tittle of what is going on. But that is just not reality. And sometimes things are not always as black and white as we would like it to be. And certainly when it comes to the need for being told what to do, we certainly, when it comes to this idea of knowing the salvation, where salvation would come, Israel would have wanted that. But we see that God's salvation by way of Samson is going to be unexpected. And the, need, the reason it needs to be unexpected is because the people have become so dull. The people have become so complacent. The people have not considered uh, the fact that they are under servitude. They know they are, but as we see in the Samson narrative, they do not cry out. And so we see in the book of Judges this degeneration. We see this canonization of the people of Israel. But in contrast with that, we do, this, we do see the so great salvation of the Lord. The people engage in wickedness, and then God is pleased to raise up a deliverer. So we are in that Samson narrative, under the Jephthah narrative. We saw how Israel had degenerated so far, how many gods they served. But with the Samson narrative, we see that they don't even cry out for help anymore. And yet God is so very pleased to raise up Samson anyway. And so the problem is very clear, at least the overarching problem in the Samson narrative, is the complacency of the people of God. There's the other problem of the weakness of God's servants. That's a sub-problem. But the main problem seems to be the overarching problem with respect to the complacency of God's people. The people are content to be under tyranny, and so it requires an unexpected plan of God to bring about their salvation, and it requires the initiative of God to bring about that salvation. And so in Judges 14... We see the secret occasion of the Lord's so small salvation. The secret occasion of the Lord's so small salvation. Dale Ralph Davis pointed out the importance of secrets. And I didn't have that word as I was reading through it. There's a certain word that's used 17 times in this chapter. And that word is told. What is told and what is not told. So secret just encapsulates and encompasses that very well. And a secret is something that is hidden. There's things that we know. There's things that Samson knows. There's things that the Lord knows. But there are many things that other people in the narrative do not know. So secrets certainly uh, help encapsulate what is going on in Judges 14. So we'll structure our points using that word. So the first point is the secret of Yahweh's plan in verses 1 through 9. So the secret of Yahweh's plan, verses 1 through 9... And then secondly, we'll see the secret of Yahweh's salvation, verses 10 through 20. So the secret of Yahweh's plan, and then we're going to see the secret of Yahweh's salvation. So let's first look at the secret of Yahweh's plan in verses 1 through 9. Now it's important to remember the birth narrative in chapter 13. Again, with these, this judges cycle, typically there's sin, oppression, and deliverance. It's not typical repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. Repentance is a sorrow over sin. We don't see that with the people of Israel. They're sad that they're under oppression. They're crying out in pain. 
And yet God is still pleased to deliver them. But with Samson and the Samson narrative, as they're under the Philistines in 13.1, it just says, Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So it is a very hopeless time. It is a very hopeless situation. And usually birth narratives in the scriptures come at a hopeless time to provide hope for the people of God. And hope is going to come by one who is of the tribe of Dan, that small tribe of the son of Mr. Manoah and the son of Mrs. Manoah. We see how this promised son is going to be consecrated. He's going to be set apart and he is going to begin to deliver the people out of the hand of the Philistines. And so that is all in view. We cannot forget that very thing. God is going to use this one to begin to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. And it starts with a distressing request. And it starts with a distressing request. It would be distressing for his parents. And so we see in verse 1. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, we know that Israelites are not supposed to marry Canaanites. They're not supposed to marry anyone who is not an Israelite. But we see Samson sees this woman, and he wants her as his wife. Now, there is a divide when it comes to the commentaries. The older boys view it as a positive thing, in the sense that Samson is doing it for a specific purpose. He's calculated. He knows exactly what he's doing. The newer boys suggest that Samson is just looking with his eyes. So there is that divide among the commentators. Certainly both could be in view, but certainly it could be the case, especially what we see with verse 4, that Samson is doing this for a calculated reason. Not saying he doesn't have his problems later, not saying he doesn't have his uh, issues and weaknesses, but the point is God is going to use this daughter of Timnah to bring a, a provocation, to bring an occasion for God and Samson to move against the Philistines. And the reason that's important is because of the problem. The people are complacent. The people don't care. The people are fine with being under tyranny. So something has to happen. Something needs to occur. Something needs to provoke the Philistines and to provoke and to provide an occasion which this wedding is going to do. So we see Samson, he goes down, sees this lady that he likes. He goes, he's following the proper protocol. Usually it was the parents who negotiated uh, what the marriage would look like. And so he goes and talks to his parents and says to them in verse 2, uh, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Now the parents freak out. The parents are concerned. That's not exactly the woman that they thought that he would be bringing home to meet the parents. In this case, it's going to be a Philistine. And so they cry out, they're concerned. Is there no woman, verse 3, Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren, or among all my people, that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? So the parents don't know the reason. The parents don't know the purpose. It is distressing for them. They've had this wonderful experience where Yahweh appears to them and says, your son is going to be the deliverer. Your son is going to save the people. But now he's coming and he's wanting a, a wife from Timnah. He's wanting a lady of the Philistines rather than another wife. 
And so they have their concerns, right, uh, rightfully so, I guess humanly speaking, they have their concerns. They don't have all the information. They don't know, uh, don't know everything that is going on, but God does. And we do as the readers. It's called divine eavesdropping. We know what's going on, but a lot of people in the narrative have no idea. And so the father and mother have no idea. And Samson says to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well. Now again, that divide is there with respect to the old boys and the new boys. Is he acting negatively or is he acting positively? Now, if he's acting negatively, he was his right in his own eyes. I mean, that language is used in 17.6, describing Micah's idolatry. It's used in 21.25 to describe the whole arching problem for the people of God during the time of the judges. However, a lot of the, new, old, the older boys point out Hebrews 11. I mean, Hebrews 11, Samson is there, and by faith, he does stop the mouth of lions. By faith, he does subdue kingdoms. Just listen to Matthew Poole uh, as an example of what I mean. This action of Samson's, though against common rules, seems to be warranted, partly by the greatness and goodness of his design in it, and principally by the instinct and direction of God, which is mentioned in the following words, which was known to Samson, but not to his parents. So again, there is that divide. And I'm not sure that if you take the positive or negative route, it changes the overall meaning and purpose of the text. But it can give you a different view and perspective of Samson. You know what I think of Samson. I think he's got his problems. I think he's got his foibles. I think he's got his issues. And when I say that, I'm trying to temper. Sometimes people like to drill Samson. There's this contempt against Samson. I feel like I have to protect Samson, although... I'm sure if we were walking down the street, he'd be protecting me from whatever would uh, come out against me. But the point is, is that there is this divide between the old and the new commentaries, depending on how they view Samson here. So it could very well be negative. I mean, that's not outlandish with what we see in some of those other chapters. But it's also not that outlandish with what we see and how he responds and how he even acts with respect to his wife uh, in chapter 15. But we see in verse 4 the divine reason. His father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. That it was of the Lord. The Lord has a specific purpose for this. The Lord has a specific reason for this. And God is behind this. That he was. Now some translations are, again, the old boy, new boy sort of distinction there. The old boys say he referring to Samson, some of the old boys, the new boys say he referring to God. I think God is in view that God, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. There's this clear problem. There's this clear issue. The people are under oppression and God is working. God is going to bring that wonderful, wonderful salvation. It is the providence of the Lord, a special providence of the Lord for the people of God that he might bring them out of this captivity. And so Samson is going to bring about, uh, God is going to use Samson to bring about this salvation. God is going to demonstrate his strength. He's going to demonstrate his strength by way of Samson's strength. 
But God is also going to demonstrate his strength by Samson's weakness. Because the servants of God are not perfect. The servants of God have their issues. And God is the one that we can trust in, in all things. And brethren, in reality, everything that happens is the providence of God. God always works by way of, he works by means. He works through people. He works through choices that we make. But God is the one who is always working. God is the one who is always in control. That doesn't mean he is the author of sin. The Bible says that he does not tempt to sin. He cannot do that. But he can work through the sinful nature of mankind to bring about his promises. But man is the one who has responsibility. We see this very clearly in Acts chapter 2. When Peter drills, when Peter's, well not drills, but he hammers home who Jesus is to these Jews, he says, you killed him, but it was God's predetermined purpose. So everything is the providence of God, but Mr. Manoah and Mrs. Manoah are having a tough time seeing that. They don't have that information. They don't know verse 4 like we do, or like perhaps Samson does as well. So... Uh, verses 1 through 4, that highlights the secret of Yahweh's purpose. And still under our first point, we'll see in verses 5 through 9, the secret of Samson's strength. So there's Yahweh's purpose, then we have Samson's strength. And so we see the secret of the lion in verses 5 and 6. We see in verse 5, so he wants this wife. It's going to be the occasion for why uh, 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 why the uh, Samson is able to go against the Philistines and to provide a provocation. But something happens first. Verse 5. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. We know from verse 6, perhaps they got separated a little bit on the way. Don't know why. But something happens. Verse 5. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. This lion comes out of nowhere and it attacks him. Again, pretend you are reading this for the first time. We have no indication of the strength of Samson until now. We have no indication that he can rip a lion in two. And we see that it is of the Lord. So this lion comes out, verse 6, the spirit of the Lord. Samson's strength comes from the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as a lion would have torn apart a young goat. He tore it. He killed it. And then we see, though he had nothing in his hand. We see this demonstration of his strength. We see this demonstration of the power of God upon him, that he would tear this lion in two, it highlights that his strength really does come from the Lord. And it's and he's empty-handed. There's no ox goats. We all thought it was wonderful when Shamgar killed those Philistines with an ox goat. It's pretty cool with that thing flying. Or the dagger of Ehud. But here it's just Samson. Here it's just him. Here he just has the Spirit of the Lord, gives him that strength, and he tears that lion in two. He rips it apart. He tears it apart, probably not in two because the carcass is still there, but nonetheless, he tears it apart as easily as a lion would have torn apart a young goat. And he did it with his bare hands. 
but he doesn't tell his parents. Verse 6, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. So a great demonstration of strength, and he keeps it to himself. And then we see the secret of the honey in verses 7 and 9. Then he went down, verse 7, talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. So he saw her, and now he's talking to her. And things, she had pleased Samson. No indication what she thinks uh, in this whole thing. But uh, that's just an aside. She pleased Samson well. And after some time, when he returned to get her, so they have this conversation, perhaps the parents talk about the price and negotiate what that is, and so he goes back, and now he's coming back down. By the way, coming down or going down is also repeated uh, throughout this section as well. So he's going down to Timnah again in verse 8. He returned to get her, and he wants to see what happened to that lion. And so he turns aside to see the carcass of the lion and something surprising. Usually bees don't take up their home inside a carcass. Usually bees don't congregate inside the shell of a lion. Behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. And perhaps there's many, uh, some commentators highlight differing reasons as to why this is the case. Why is there honey? Why is there a bee? Why are these bees? Why is this there? Maybe it's to highlight something sweet in a world of decay. Right. It also perhaps highlights that it's God who would do this. I mean, because bees don't typically congregate uh, and make their honey inside a carcass. That could be there as well. Uh, again, the older boys and the newer boys. Could he be defiling? Could he be defiling his Nazarite vow? That could be in place as well. Although Gil and Josephus suggest it might not be the case. There's no indication that he's been unclean. Um, and the newer boys say the reason he didn't tell his parents is because he doesn't want to make them unclean. But the older boys give another reason as to why he doesn't tell them. He doesn't tell them about the lion. He doesn't tell them about the honey. Now, brother, I don't know about you, but if I tore a lion in two, I would tell everybody about it. I'd want everybody to know that I slaughtered that lion with my bare hands. And I'm the strong one who did that very thing. I mean, people would tweet it. People would Facebook it. They would TikTok it these days. But Samson keeps it to himself. And the older boys suggest it's because he does not want the Philistines to know. He does not want the Philistines to know just how mighty and strong he is. Because we're going to see later on in that narrative... Uh, in this whole narrative, what happens to some degree when they know they're going to send a thousand and God is still with him. But at this point, he does have some tact. He does have some perhaps military strategy. He perhaps is going to take them by surprise. That could very well be in view. There is no indication that he has defiled himself, although that could be the case as well. But it seems to be in the flow of the narrative as he's trying to stir this occasion to come against the Philistines, he wants to keep it a secret. He wants to keep it to himself. He wants to keep it for a specific reason. Even Poole again says, him taking, uh, Poole views it as a defiling, but a necessary one by divine design. So again, there's differing views there, but it seems to be the case. He does not tell them. That's all we're given. Twice 
He does not tell them, perhaps to keep it to himself. So, so that he can then come upon the Philistines in a surprising sort of way. Now I think as we end this point, I think there is an important application that we can take away, and one that I, comes up a lot sometimes in these narratives, and that is the importance of the providence of God and the fact that God is absolutely sovereign. And with respect to that, we need to see and highlight there are secret reasons for what happens in our life that we just don't see. We know the overarching reason, we know the overarching purpose. What man means for evil, God means for good. God is working together for good uh, in the life of all those who are called according to his purpose. God is doing all of those things. And that needs to be a comfort for the people of God. We are perhaps in many ways like Mr. and Mrs. Manoah. We don't know. We don't have verse 4 for our lives. We don't have, you know, Genesis 50. I mean, we have it now for our lives. We don't have Genesis 50, the way in which Joseph eventually did. Yeah, and so we have to understand that as life unfolds, we need to trust in our God, but know that he is over all things. He knows all things. He is doing all things for his purposes. Davis is always helpful in my mind. He says, This text then should hold out some hope for God's people. Frequently, all we can see are the onions of a situation. The sin or the smell of disappointment seems to dominate the scene, seems to cover our whole map. But perhaps that is only the cover for Yahweh's secret work. Perhaps our greatest comfort is hidden in what we don't know or can't see. Perhaps it is from Yahweh who has his own saving design to work either through or in spite of yuck and muck. We have to remember that, brethren. Life is difficult. Life is perplexing. Life is filled with enigmas that we don't understand, like a son wanting a Philistine wife. But we have to trust in the promises of God. This would have been important for the remnant in Israel. This is important for the exiles like us when we go through the muck of life. We need to be remembered that there are reasons God is doing something in our life that we don't always understand. But another assurance that we can get with that is that God will be with us. And Yahweh's might is sufficient. God will be near to us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. His grace is made sufficient in our weakness. So there are secret reasons that God has that we don't see. And thankfully, we can trust in the secret of Yahweh's plan. So that is the secret of Yahweh's plan. Let's then move secondly to the secret of Yahweh's salvation in verses 10 through 20. So the secret of Yahweh's salvation, and notice the secret of Samson's riddle in verses 10 through 14. And we see the occasion. He's getting married, verses 10 and 11. So his father went down to the woman... And Samson gave a feast there for a young man used to do so. So there is this custom to have what's called a drinking feast for seven days. Um, perhaps uh, um, uh, it would have been perhaps like a stag party or something like that. And so then all these young men come down. It happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. So perhaps he doesn't have a whole lot of friends in Timnah. Now here are all these other friends are makeshift friends who are going to come with him. Uh, probably would have been at the bride's parents' house. Seven days of drinking. Again, no indication that he drank uh, anything there. 
But perhaps one thing they do notice, this guy's quite large. <laughs> they see verse 11, and it happened when they saw him that they bring 30 of these guys. So he's probably piqued their interest just with his size. And so they're like, okay, uh, I guess we'll bring 30 people to see what's going on with this character who wants to uh, come and be wedded to one of our ladies. And so they come, they see what's going on, and Samson again is going to provoke them, and he does so by way of this riddle in verses 12 through 14. So Samson says to them, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments, so undergarments, and 30 changes of clothing, which would be like new suits, as David says. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. So these are the terms this is the riddle. I mean, he knows what it is because he's the only one who's seen the lion and the carcass. He's the only one who's seen that very thing. But they agree to the terms. They Here's this guy. Here's this macho man. And so let's see what he's got. Fine, pose your riddle. That way we hear it. And he's going to give them a riddle that they probably couldn't answer uh, uh, at all, really, because they don't know. And so he gives the riddle. He says to them, verse 14, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. The irony with that first line is a consumer now produces food, and the irony with the second line is something that is strong and burly produces something that is sweet. So out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. We know what that is from verse 18. We know what it is from verses 5 through to, uh, 9. We know what he is referring to here. So he gives them that riddle. They've agreed to this riddle and they can't get it. Now, <laughs> three days, they could not explain the riddle. They probably said different things. They wonder what it could be, but they cannot get it. They cannot understand it. We have the answer. We have superior knowledge and their frustration begins to set in. They cannot tell it. They cannot explain it. And so what do they do? They threatened Samson's wife. Verse 15. It came to pass, and so this is where we see the secret of Samson's weakness, but also in contrast, again, where his strength lies. But we see his weakness as ladies. Verse 15. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, perhaps not the seventh day of the feast, but the, the seventh day, perhaps the Sabbath day. So, uh, seventh day of the feast, uh, the seventh day, sorry, the Sabbath, the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us or else we will burn you in your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? So they intimidate, they say command, or they command him to seduce, to entice, or we're going to burn you. And so what's she going to do? I wonder what her decision is going to be. She is going, obviously, to emotionally manipulate her husband, which is exactly what she does. She manipulates him. Emotionally manipulates her husband. And we see it in verse 16. Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. 
You don't love me like you say you do. Again, it's blackmail. It is manipulating. It is trying to get something out of Samson. And Samson, to his credit at this point, keeps it together. 16. Sorry, 17. Or sorry, still in 16. The second part there. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my mother or my father, so should I tell it to you? I haven't explained it to my parents, so should I then tell you what it is? But notice, she presses him further. She vexes him. And this is a bit of a foreshadow with the vexation that going, he's going to have with Delilah. Now, but again, what he did was wrong, telling her where, telling Delilah where his strength comes from. That was wrong, but she vexes him. She presses him. I mean, as we're going to see in the narrative, Samson's alone, essentially. Samson's by himself. I mean, the Judahites, they want to give him back to the Philistines. I mean, he, he is by himself in this whole narrative. I mean, we would all cave too. You don't love me. You don't love me. You don't love me. I would cave after five times it's said. He waits quite some time. She vexes him for seven days. Now, while she wept on him, the seven days while their feast lasted, and it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because she pressed him so very much. She kept batting her eyelashes. She kept crying crocodile tears. She kept manipulating. And eventually he does give in. That is a foreshadow with what shall happen with Delilah. But we know from verse 4, it is to bring about a specific occasion. So he tells it to her. And then she tells it to the sons of her people. And so then verse 18, the feast comes to an end. And we see, so the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And he knows exactly where that came from. And so he says to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. He knows who betrayed him. It was his wife. And the idea of a heifer carries the idea one who is uh, one cow who's not been under the yoke yet. Wanton, unaccustomed. One who is not bridled. One who is not uh, controlled. And so if you, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. And so then in verses 19 and 20, we do see the start of that salvation. This was the occasion that God uses to bring about an occasion against the Philistines. Verse 19, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, just as it was the case with the lion. Poole says, Though he had a constant habit of eminent strength and courage, yet that was exceedingly increased upon special occasions by the extraordinary influences of God's Spirit. And so now we have that occasion. Now they really know who Samson is. These 30 saw this big guy coming for one of their ladies and were like, wow, what's going on with him? And now all of Ashkelon knows who he is. Now all of Ashkelon knows that there is a deliverer in Israel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he goes down to Ashkelon and he kills 30 of their men, takes their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. Ashkelon is a city uh, in Philistia. And so this is the climax. 
This is the occasion. We've seen or heard of the plan of the Lord. Now we see the power of the Lord as he begins to bring about that salvation. Davis says the text is clear. What we are dealing with is not Samson's temper, but the Spirit's power. If this seems brutal, we must simply live with it. We have already seen that when Yahweh delivers his people, he does not always dip his saving axe in Clorox and sprinkle them with perfume. To be delivered from evil will frequently be messy. And that is certainly the case here. Yes, he's angry. Yes, he's frustrated. But nonetheless, the, main, the first thing that is mentioned, it is the Spirit of the Lord that comes upon him mightily. And again, he is in Hebrews chapter 11. He is a man of faith. He is a man who looks to Christ to come and a man who stops the mouth of lions and the man who subdues nations. Samson is now on their radar. They should not mess with this mighty man of God. His anger was aroused. He went back up to his father's house after he gave these 30 uh, uh, pieces of apparel, uh, respectively. And then Samson's wife was given to his companion, perhaps one of the men at the party, who would have been his best man. The Lord was seeking occasion to save the people, and here it is. And thankfully, we see the blessedness of Yahweh's plan of salvation that is far greater than anything that we could ever imagine. We could highlight here the secret of Yahweh's salvation. And one thing I want to highlight with respect to that is that Yahweh works in the hearts and lives of people, and we don't see it. Our purpose is to proclaim that which has been revealed, and God is pleased to work in the hearts and lives to save people. And that also has some application for the people of God when it comes to our sanctification, brethren. We are under the word of God so that we are fed and that we grow. Sometimes we don't always see that growth right away. Sometimes we do see that growth right away. But one thing it's important to remember is that we need to be under the word of God faithfully. When someone wants to lose weight, you don't see that big drop right away, right? It is over a small uh, increments, a little bit by bit by bit. And after a long period of time, there we see that. Or if someone wants to gain weight, we see that bit by bit by bit. And it is over a long period of time, but you don't see it right away. A lot of the times that is the case with our growth as well. We don't always see it. We're struggling with this. We pray the Lord. We ask for forgiveness and we move on. We come to church. We sit and hear some guy drone for a while. Hopefully it's not always droning. But they hear the word of God. They're encouraged. They come again and do it next week. So that in a year's time, they can look back on that year and go, Look, the Lord helped me. The Lord aided me. The Lord gave me the, gave me the strength that I needed. And the Lord helped me grow in these areas. And that is encouraging. That is something to be remind, uh, to remind ourselves. It helps us press on. It helps us be faithful in the things God has called us to. But also it gives us liberation when it comes to salvation. There is this means we use. It is the gospel proclamation. And God is pleased to work in the hearts and lives of people. He has his so great salvation. But he works secretly in the hearts and lives of his elect. And thankfully, this so great salvation 
comes in Christ Jesus. What we see in this so small salvation, because it is so small salvation, because with respect to the Philistines, even under Samson, yes, Samson pulls, you know, the temple down and he kills the Philistines, but nonetheless, they're not subdued till later on under David. It is a start. It's a beginning with what we see in Judges 13. But there is a so great salvation that comes to one who is far greater. At this time, that mystery was hidden still. But thankfully, that mystery has now been revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who fulfills all the law and the prophets. That salvation comes in him. That salvation comes in the one who is the Son of God who died on Calvary's tree. That is foolishness, isn't it? That is a stumbling block. That is something that man does not understand. That's why the secret working of God in their hearts is only something God can do. We proclaim and give the external means, but God is pleased to work in the hearts and lives to save his elect, but also cause his elect to grow in grace and knowledge as well. We might not always know who God is working on, but we know that the good news isn't a secret to be kept, but it's a word to be proclaimed. And thankfully, Yahweh's secret plan is being revealed day by day. His salvific plan is revealed in the lives of the people whom he will save. A lot of what we see in this so small salvation is just the comfort we need. Though it is a secret to us, it nonetheless is the plan of God to bring salvation for his people. Well, let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your sovereign plans and purposes in this world, and we are thankful that they include the salvation of your people whom you've set apart and predestined before the foundation of the world. And we're thankful that you are pleased to call them forth out of darkness into marvelous light in your timing and according to your means. And we're thankful that you do so internally and you work by way of the external word as it goes forth. So thank you for this. Thank you that when we are perplexed, when we are concerned, when we don't uh, perhaps see growth in our own lives, perhaps when we um, are perplexed by our own lives. Help us to put our trust in you and help us just to do what you call us to do. Help us to be faithful in the things you asked of us. Help us to uh, love you. Help us to love one another. Uh, help us to do our various jobs in ways that are pleasing unto you. Help us to care for our families. Help us to pray. Help us to be in the word of God. Help us to be under the word. Uh, as it is preached and proclaimed. And we are thankful for this blessed gospel, this good news of free and sovereign grace that comes from a so, uh, the, the salvation, the so great salvation uh, that comes in Christ Jesus our Lord. So thank you that your plans are being revealed day by day. And thank you that ultimately the redemptive revelation comes in Christ Jesus, who is that mystery who has been revealed and whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge And we're thankful that we know him. We know you. And we know you by faith. We know you according to your word. And may that give us the comfort and encouragement we need as we still struggle in this world. We still have things that perplex us. We believe in your sovereignty. But as life unfolds and as circumstances arise, there are things that just cause us to question. But help us to trust in you. So thank you that you are God. Thank you for your plan. And we pray these.